Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast with me, Louise Rumble. And today I've got the incredible Dr. Terry Mack, OG, head psychologist at Open House, back with us. She is the queen of all things love, dating, relationships, toxic relationships, and so much more. Talking of toxic relationships, that is what we are getting into today. And we have been chomping at the bit. I don't know if you Americans have that phrase, but us British people say chomping at the bit to do this episode. And the reason for that is, as you all know, we have this incredible community space called The House, where Dr. Terry is in there with us, Dr. Massimo is in there with us. If you are a premium subscriber, you get access to a private room with those therapists, which is amazing because I mean, where else can you literally get a response from a therapist without spending hundreds of dollars? Anyway, if you want to join us in that space, you can head over to the show notes. But the reason that I'm telling you about this is because we talk about a lot of things in the house. Sometimes they're happy, sometimes they're sad, sometimes we're questioning things and the therapists are always there to help us see the truth. Now I say see the truth Because I think one of the hardest things when we are in a relationship, when we feel like we are being loved and cared for some of the time, is that we often overlook things that happen the rest of the time. And today we are going to get into some of the overlooked signs that you are actually in a toxic or abusive relationship. Now, I know that the words abusive relationship for some people is almost shocking to hear. And there will be a lot of pushback often because people aren't often ready to acknowledge the truth about the reality and the dynamic of the situation that they are in. As ever, this episode is delivered with love, support, compassion, 
no judgment. I have been there. I have done three, four, five years of my life in a toxic relationship that I never, ever would have classified as abusive. But since going to therapy and looking back, I can see that I was in an abusive relationship for nearly half a decade of my life. So today we're going to get into some of those points. And I guess this question and these answers came up because of a particular situation in the house where Dr. Terry was helping to guide a lovely, lovely lady in the house to see that actually the way that her boyfriend was treating her was actually not okay at all. She really helped this lovely lady see the truth that she didn't need to be taking responsibility for things that she hadn't done wrong, for begging, for apologizing, for treading on eggshells around him, for feeling guilty like this was all her fault and that the wounds were caused because of her. And if she hadn't done certain things, then her boyfriend wouldn't be acting certain ways. So Terry, before we get into this ultimate list of overlooked signs of toxic relationships and abusive relationships, I'd love it if you could just warm us up a little bit of foreplay (laughs) talking about those situations. You must see it all the time in practice. People who come in and they're like, I love her. I love him so much. But dot, dot, dot. Yes, I do see this so often where people come in and talk to me about their relationships. And I know immediately that these relationships are abusive and toxic. And they don't have a clue because there are also good moments or moments where they feel like they're getting their needs met or they feel that connection. But the truth is there are certain things that should never, ever happen in a relationship. And if they do, you need to leave if you don't want to stay or be a part of an abusive or toxic relationship. So with this woman in the house, I remember I messaged you. I was like, you know, I'm really concerned for her. And I think we need to do an episode because there's so many women and men as well who are in these kinds of relationships feeling so worthless and so powerless and not understanding that this relationship is having a huge negative impact on their well-being on their mental health, and on their physical health. So I'm really excited to do this episode with you. Like you said, we've been chomping at the bit to do it. I think it's really important. Yeah, and I understand how people get there. Because when you meet someone, it's not just horrendous straight away. It starts amazingly often and beautiful. And whether that's for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, that honeymoon period, you are on your best behavior. The shiny version of you, the pick me, love me, choose me, fall in love with me version is what we put forward. And then I think the cracks start to appear And then I think the wounds start to be triggered. And then I think the conflict begins. And then we start to try and like, when there's been a rupture, we start to fix it. But once that crack has opened, it's sort of the beginning for it just to keep opening and opening. And I do think that things just start good. And then that ratio and balance starts to change. And then I think sadly, you probably will get to a point where at the very least, the good times and the bad times will be 50-50. And for many people, the bad times actually will feel much heavier than 50-50 because they are so intense, so grueling, and so upsetting. Yeah, and one thing that I want to add there is oftentimes in the beginning, if you are with an abuser or a toxic person or somebody with these toxic traits, they may actually be grooming you to not have boundaries, to 
be the person in the relationship that is going to be in this powerless position. And we don't realize that. And I know we're going to talk about this at some point today, but you and I talked about, A, the first time you have a conflict with someone, you are going to learn so many important things about the relationship and the person that you are in this relationship with. And often that first conflict is a result of you setting a boundary. And how does somebody respond when you set a boundary? That's something we're going to talk about today. It is essential to understand that how somebody responds to you when you say no, when you say, I don't want to, when you say, I I disagree, I don't accept that. How they respond to that is going to tell you so much about whether this person is emotionally safe or whether they're not. So these are things that we really want you to understand so you can never, ever be in another toxic or abusive relationship again. And I think the words abuser and groomer, they can sound really shocking. And I think that there can be a lot of pushback on those terms because even when I was in an abusive relationship, if you had told me that my partner was an abuser, I would have defended him to high heavens. And I know that's one of the things that we're going to get into in this series of episodes. I would have defended him to high heavens. You don't understand. This happened to him. He's just angry because of this. On the inside, he's this. He's so good to me in these moments. He does this for me. I would never have accepted the term abuser or groomer, because uh, to be fair, I didn't need to be groomed. I was there, like ready to be molded and manipulated right away from him because I was so desperate to be loved by him, which is actually really sad. But yeah, I think what I'm most excited to do today is to help deconstruct these big, scary words, abuse, grooming, abusive relationships, to actually help so many of us understand that we actually can be in toxic relationships without even realizing it. Yeah. And I think the other thing that really happens for us if we are in an abusive relationship or a toxic relationship is we start to doubt ourselves. We start to not trust our own instincts, our own intuition, our own perception. And that is really dangerous. And the thing that is present in healthy relationships that is not present in toxic or abusive relationships is respect. There is respect 100% of the time in healthy relationships. And when we go through this list today, you're going to see that most of these show up because there is a lack of respect for you in the relationship. So that is something I really want you to understand. You might be feeling so badly about yourself because you're not being respected. And if you haven't gotten to the place where you really respect and love yourself, you're very susceptible to getting into these types of relationships. Yeah, I think that's fascinating, the thing about respect. And I think it's been a big part of my journey is understanding how to be respected by a partner, but also how not to disrespect someone else in conflict. And I think that we talk often about how historically I've had a very hot temper and my wounds, when I was triggered, I would lash out. I would know exactly how to hurt you. And because you'd hurt me, I would want to hurt you. And I would say that in the past, in hindsight, I probably have been disrespectful to partners. And I probably have been, I would say things to make them feel bad about certain things. So I love that reference to respect because I think it starts with you and it also starts with your partner. And ultimately it probably involves both of you 
having a deep respect for the other and also being able to acknowledge and navigate your own wounds. Absolutely. It's all about really how you feel about yourself and you having done enough work that you can regulate yourself even when your old stuff gets triggered, right? And I do want to say that a lot of times the abusers or the people that are being disrespectful in the relationship and doing these toxic or abusive things, sometimes they aren't setting out to be malicious or to be abusive, but it is because they are so wounded on the inside, so insecure, so hurt. They haven't done the healing work. And so it comes out in a way that actually hurts other people. And I want you to understand that it's still not okay. I hear so many people making excuses for why their partner treats them so horribly and with such disrespect. And it's not okay. If you are in a relationship like that where somebody's wounds and pain, insecurities lead them to treat you with disrespect, you need to leave. It's not going to change. And yes, you can have empathy for that person. You can have compassion. You can even have love for that person. But what I want you to understand is it is not your job to stay in a relationship where you are getting hurt because somebody hasn't healed enough not to hurt you. I love this point on wounds. I think it's so important because I think before you start your journey, you just see, you know, oh, he's angry. Like, oh, she's sad. Like, oh, she's emotional. Oh, he's controlling. When you go on this journey, you start to understand the concept of the wound and what is driving that reaction. But like you said, acknowledging and understanding the wound, that is not where this journey should end. You cannot stay because you acknowledge their wound. You cannot stay because you're helping them heal through a wound. Because if you are collateral damage and they are not taking responsibility for the wound, why are you taking responsibility for the wound? Dr. Terry has taught me that is the sign of a wounded person is to take on someone else's wounds and hold space for them by saying, I'm here, I'm going to love you through this. I just have to get them back to who they were before. That is a wounded person enabling a wounded person. I have a friend going through this right now. I am just trying to get her to understand that a healthy person would not stay in the situation that she is in. It doesn't matter how much she loves her partner. It doesn't matter how much trauma is coming up for her partner. It doesn't matter how wounded her partner is. It doesn't matter that this happened when her partner was 5, 10, 15. Whatever the things are, I'm trying to make my friend realize that her staying in this dynamic, she is also wounded. And it's very, very hard to get people to realize that because again, I was there. So as ever, no shame, no judgment. Yeah. And just to add on to that, if you're staying in a relationship like this, like your friend, Louise, right now, she's an emotional match for this relationship because she has healing to do, right? So we tend to attract people at the same emotional levels of health and wellness as ourselves. So the thing is, when we stay in these relationships, we abandon ourselves. We're putting somebody else's needs and our love for somebody else above our own needs and well-being and our love for ourselves. 
And trying to tell someone, hey, you need to look after yourself when they aren't wired to do that is really difficult. And I think at some point we'll do a whole other episode about how to help a friend who's in an abusive relationship. And it's really difficult. So yeah, I'm glad you brought up that example. It's so common. From what I see and from what I've experienced, I think the hardest thing is that you expect that in a toxic or abusive relationship, it is awful all the time. That is not true. An abusive relationship is not awful all the time. Even being with a narcissist, probably even a sociopath, it will not be like that all of the time. So I think people don't think that they're in an abusive relationship. They don't think they're in a toxic relationship. Then there are good times. Then there are loving times. Then there are beautiful memories. Then there are amazing moments of intimacy in the bedroom, sex, passion, all of these things. Maybe also friendship too. Is that something that you see in practice? Definitely. Definitely. And what people don't understand is what I said at the beginning. If these toxic or abusive or disrespectful traits or behaviors are happening, even though there are other really good things, it's not good. It's not healthy for you to stay, right? I think that's so important what you said. And I think it brings us back to this point around the first time you have conflict is so important because looking back now with all the work that I've done, if I could go back to my abusive relationship again, if I could do it differently, the first time that he told me, you're a bitch, you're a whore, or you look horrible in that dress, or who are you texting? Like all of these things, or even the times that he would get drunk, he would get really drunk, angry, would disappear, would shout at me, just even worse things than that, that we're not going to go into in today's episode. If I had at that moment looked at him dead in the eyes and said, I don't know what just happened there, but I know that I want nothing to do with this moving forward. If you ever do that ever again, I believe that I probably would have left that relationship because then I would have set that boundary and he would have broken it imminently afterwards. So yeah, I'd love it if we could just talk a tiny bit about how to set a boundary, what to say when someone is checking your location on Find My Friends, if they're requesting your location, if they're messaging you, if they're calling you all night, if they disrespect you, they demean you, they criticize you, they humiliate you. How do you set a boundary and how do you get them to see that they are wounded? Yeah, I want to make one point. You said people don't like boundaries, okay? Healthy people do appreciate some boundaries. It actually makes us emotionally safe people if people know how we feel. And healthy people appreciate when we say, hey, you know what? That made me feel uncomfortable. doesn't mean they're going to feel good about it, but they're going to trust you more because they know where your boundaries are. They don't have to guess. Unhealthy people do not like your boundaries because they want to do what they want. They do not want you to have boundaries. So setting a boundary for the first time can be scary, even if it's not some kind of disrespectful or violating behavior. So let's say, I don't know, you're on a third date, somebody makes a joke that's sensitive and it offended you. So even just speaking up and saying, you know what, I know you're just trying to be funny, but actually that kind of language or joking about that topic, I don't like it. It's as simple as that. Sometimes it's as simple as just saying, I don't like it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not ready to talk about that yet. No, I don't want to go to that restaurant. 
But if you're dealing with somebody who is being disrespectful or violating boundaries, some of the examples that you gave, it's really the same thing. It's really saying, no, I'm not available for that. I do not accept that. I'm not signing up for that. And depending on what it was, you could give them another chance. You could say, like you gave the example, Louise, like, if that happens again, I'm out of here. But then the other part of setting a boundary is holding the boundary. So if you set a boundary and then you don't stick to it, guess what? You're teaching that person, nah, you don't really have any boundaries. They don't really need to respect you. They can do what they want because they know you're going to let them get away with it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But in general, setting a boundary is just speaking your truth. And it's letting people know what feels good, what doesn't feel good, what you agree with, what you disagree with. If somebody makes a generalization about you or let's say calls you a bitch, you could say, no, I'm not a bitch and I do not accept you calling me names. That is never going to be acceptable to me. And if you do it again, I'm leaving. Yeah, I think it's that two-step process that you've just set out there that is really, really helpful. You know, one, asserting a boundary, which is just rejecting their behavior and communicating, no, I do not like that. I will not tolerate that and I will not accept it. I also really like how you said, I am not a bitch. You almost restated actually the truth of the scenario. So rather than just pushing against it, You also state your position and you hold your position in part one, which then helps you in part two, which is the saying, if you step across this boundary again, I will leave because of what I stated in part one. I am not a bitch and I will not be spoken to like that. Yes. And this can also work if somebody is trying to make you responsible for their feelings, for something in the relationship that when you really self-reflect, you come to the conclusion, no, I'm not responsible for that. You can say, I understand that you're hurt. I understand that you're triggered or you're angry or you're jealous or whatever it is, but I'm not taking responsibility for that. I'm not owning that. I didn't cause that. And I will not accept that responsibility. This one is very powerful. And as we get more, you know, when we start talking about the list, people who are unhealthy, toxic, and abusive will want to make you responsible for their feelings. And it's really important that you figure out where that line is for you. You're not responsible for other people's feelings, but there's this piece of self-reflection where you say, okay, let me consider this. And then what is the truth here? I'm sorry that you feel this way, but I'm not taking responsibility for that. I think where it gets so confusing is when we do feel like we are responsible for it. And I think that's where it comes back to 
if you are healthy and you are doing the work, you can identify and establish what is respectful, kind, compassionate you behavior versus when you stepped out of line. I'm trying to think of an example here. I don't have one in my current relationship. Take it back to my abusive relationship in my 20s. For example, if I was messaging a male colleague at work, he would lose his shit. And then I would be like, I'm so, so sorry, like justifying why he had no reason to be annoyed. Nothing's ever happened, blah, 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 blah. Now, further down the line, I would just set that boundary because I would, I guess I would say like, yeah, I don't know whether I would lead with, I have never given you any reason to distrust me. I don't know if even going to that is like you're already pointing the conversation to you saying like, I haven't done anything wrong, which is defensive. I don't know, therapist, tell me, what would I do if I was 26 and back in an abusive relationship? (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm here. So, you know, it also depends on how he brings it up. So if a partner brings it up and says, who are you texting? That makes me uncomfortable. Then you could first, okay, tell me about that. Why does it make you feel uncomfortable? I want to hear your feelings. You're talking, you're discussing And then you could say to that piece, like, oh, I'm really sorry. Just so you know, this is my colleague. It's nothing going on. And sometimes I have to text my colleague, but you really don't have anything to worry about. That's how it would go in a healthy relationship. But if somebody is, like you said, losing their shit, blowing up, being irrationally jealous, calling you names or just saying, can't do that, then you could say, okay, I see that you're angry. I see that you're jealous. I have to text my colleagues at work. When you are calm, we can talk about what your fears are, and I'm happy to talk about it with you, but you can't call me names. I'm not going to accept this anger, and I'm not going to engage with you right now because you're not going to be able to hear me. It feels like you're accusing me of something, and I'm not going to accept that. I am obsessed with the fact that you just said, when you're calm, we can talk about what your fears are. That might just be... The best fucking mic drop statement that I have heard in like literally the whole of 2023, if that's even the year that we're in, I never even know what year we're in. That is reflective of my (laughs) mental state. That is incredible because yes, that's the thing is that people's reactive responses, like it's an amygdala hijack. It's a fear-driven response. But the truth is you are not responsible for their fears, particularly if you haven't done anything to give them reason to be fearful. So I absolutely love that. But when I look back at my abusive partner, we never had a conversation like that. Like not one conversation in four years was ever like a calm and curious discussion. So I think that's probably a telling sign for anyone that's listening is if you don't sit down, grab a cup of tea and say, can we talk about something? If they are just like bombarding you with, you did this, you made me feel this. That is also the sign of a toxic relationship. Yeah, and that's a point that I want to make is if you are in an abusive or toxic relationship, first of all, it's going to take fortitude. It's going to take courage. It's going to take self-trust to be able to set and hold these boundaries. And that means there's inner work for you to do if you're not there yet. If you are in a toxic and abusive relationship and you get up the courage to speak up and set a boundary, guess what? They are not going to respect it. They are not going to hear you. They're not going to appreciate it. What will they do instead? They're going to get angry. They're going to push back. They're either going to get pathetic and cry and make you feel like you're being so mean or so uncaring, not doing what they want you to do, 
or they're going to make you feel like you're being unreasonable, that you're crazy, that you're selfish. In an abusive relationship, you having boundaries is never okay. When they don't get what they want, shit hits the fan. And that's what I want you to know. So you can do the work, but you can only get so healthy in an abusive relationship because you're not with somebody who does respect you, who does want you to heal and grow and have a voice and set boundaries. They want the opposite. Yeah, as you say, a relationship is only as healthy as its least healthy counterpart, which is such an important statement, particularly for today's episode. But I also just want to end today's episode on self-trust. And I have one more question. This concept of self-trust, I think it comes back to a self-trust and a belief that you deserve more, that you don't deserve to be spoken to this way, that you don't deserve to be in an erratic relationship walking on eggshells where one moment they love you and they're cuddling you and then the next minute you feel the energy shift. Self-trust that you're going to be okay to leave, that you will be okay, whether that is on your own or whether you will meet someone else. Yeah. One thing that you said, like the home truth that you have these unhealthy parts, if you're staying in a relationship like this, it makes me think I was getting out of a toxic relationship in my early twenties. I found a therapist. He wasn't that great in my opinion, but he did say one thing to me that kind of just stopped me in my tracks. And, you know, I'm going on and on about what had been happening. Meanwhile, like my toxic ex is still messaging me, trying to get me back. And I I looked forward to those messages, right? It's really hard to get out of a relationship like this when you're still trying to heal yourself. But my therapist at the time, he said, you know, well, there must be unhealthy parts in you that keep you attracted to this. And I was like, whoa, but he was right. And the other thing that I wanted to say around self-trust I think one of the major things that people don't understand and really relates to self-trust is trusting that you are a caring, kind, empathic person, even when you have boundaries around your empathy. Because those of us who end up in these types of relationships tend to be the empathic nurturers. And we are brainwashed in these relationships to believe that if we're not giving 100% whatever they want, if we set boundaries around our empathy, which would be like, I care about you, but I'm not responsible for you and I need to take care of myself or whatever it is, we don't trust that we're still a caring and empathic person. And I will say that for those of us who are naturally deeply empathic, It's a vital life skill to learn how to put boundaries around it. If not, you are going to be repeatedly taken advantage of and totally disconnected from yourself. Yeah, you've nailed it. It's that empathy piece. Like for me and my toxic ex, I would always justify he's this way because of this and this childhood and his mom did this and his dad did this. And that's the thing is that you justify their cactus outer covering because you get to experience like this is a really bad analogy. I was about to say that the beauty on the inside of the cactus is the mescaline, which like everyone's gonna be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But I was like watching this documentary about how cactuses have mescaline on the inside, which is this incredible ancient like medicine. But there's all these cactuses around that no one realizes. They just think like, oh, that's horrible. It hurts if you brush it too closely. And actually on the inside is the mescaline. So awful analogy too. (laughs) But yeah, you like... You put up with the cactus because like you get the mescaline, you get the life-changing love 
that is inside of the cactus, you get the thing that takes you places, literally. Okay, I like where this, I like where this analogy is going now. You get this medicinal drug on the inside, and that some moments it takes you to places of love and cherishment and adoration and a friendship. But the truth is, is so many times you have the cactus as well and you kind of feel bad for them. You want to just help them that little wound in the, on the inside. So yeah, it's, it's difficult. Definitely a big part of why I stayed. Definitely a big part of why I see other people staying. But I think that today's been so helpful. I love how we've talked through the nuances. I think that life is messy and complex and really not easy to just like condense a toxic relationship down into a 40-minute podcast episode. And I really am grateful for how we've been able to sort of look at those more nuanced edges today. And we will link all of the other toxic relationship episodes in the show notes that we have already done, because there's a lot of stuff in those episodes that can really, really help you as well. If you enjoyed this, please share it to your socials. Please send it on to someone that might be in a toxic relationship or in a tumultuous relationship that needs love, that needs friendship, that needs support, and maybe doesn't have a therapist. Please also like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to come and join us in our premium community to get access to more of Dr. Terry, more of me, you can sign up to that in the show notes as well. So thank you, Terry. I love you so much. And I cannot wait for next episode from cockroaches to mescaline. Hopefully we'll come up with some more analogies. Thanks, Louise. I love you. I love you too. Goodbye. (laughs) 